and let's just pray before we turn to God's word. Our Father, as we open the scriptures tonight, we pray that your spirit would speak to us through them and you would help me to speak them clearly and expound them faithfully. In Jesus' name, amen. So Isaiah chapter 43, verses 16 to 21. Thus says the Lord who makes a way in the sea and a path through the mighty waters, who brings forth the chariot and horse, the army and the power. They shall lie down together, they shall not rise. They are extinguished, they are quenched like a wick. Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing, and it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness, and rivers in the desert. The beast of the field will honour me, the jackals and the ostriches, because I give waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my people, my chosen. This people I have formed for myself. They shall declare my praise. I'll show you a, a painting to start off with. Uh, This painting is called Midnight Welcome at Levi's Refuge. And it's a factual painting. It's a painting about a man whose name was Levi Coffin. He's the man on the top of the chariot, on top of the wagon there. And uh, he lived in northern America. And he was one of the abolitionists who rescued slaves, American slaves, who were running for freedom. And uh, his, was, his home was a refuge house that was on what was called the Underground Railroad. You might have heard of that, the, the route that the slaves could take following the Northern Star, like Harriet Tubman, following the Northern Star to go north. And uh, they had a tremendous system to get slaves out to freedom. They, they had barns that they knew they could stay in and where uh, black people had residences of their own, they would take people in if they were wealthy enough not to be slaves themselves. They could take in uh, people. But there were a few places, especially belonging to Christians, where they also had freedom. And it was a remarkable system where they were able to get directions during the day uh, by, do you know what, patchwork quilts. You know these patchwork quilts you see, uh, like at the American Museum. A lot of those were coded maps. And the ladies would hang them out on their washing lines. And slaves who were on the run could see it's this way or that way and take the codes from the maps on the washing lines that were hanging out so that they could find their way to the next safe house. And Levi Coffin was a man whose house lived at the point of three trade routes, as it were, or underground railroad routes. And something like 75,000 to 100,000 slaves made it safe through the underground railroad, including through his house. He was a very brave man. He was a a Quaker, actually. He was a, a wealthy man. He was a man who had his own business. And because he had his own business and was a man of standing in the community... Uh, he was able to withstand the uh, difficulties of being known as one who kept 
the slaves and took the slaves in. And in, in the story I've read, he said not a night went by sometimes. Sometimes not a week went by when there wasn't a knock on the door in the middle of the night. And there were slaves to take in. And he lost a lot of business because he was known as being a man who gave refuge to the slaves. But he did it anyway because he said God's law is higher than man's law and uh, we want to help these people. And it's amazing, isn't it, to think of the massive exodus. You think of that 100,000 people making their way to freedom through the Underground Railroad. Well, as amazing as that historical event is in modern history that is nothing compared to the exodus of the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt because when the children of Israel came out of the land of Egypt something like 600,000 of them came out in one single night think of that God did a miracle. In fact, he'd done a series of miracles uh, in the land of Egypt to bring them to being able to come free. And on the night of the Passover, they were set free and they were brought out. And as we read in Exodus chapter 14, when they came to the edge of the Red Sea, a new miracle was needed. Because they they weren't stuck between a rock and a hard place. They were stuck between the waters and Pharaoh. And Pharaoh was coming up behind them with his army to recapture them. And the waters were there in front of them. But God did a supernatural miracle and he opened the Red Sea. Now it's interesting, the newspapers have uh, started picking up on this and they started saying, yes, this is true. <laughs> and they started saying, you know, there's all sorts of ways in which we can explain this with the weather. Well, I didn't need them to tell me that because my Bible told me God used the wind to separate the Red Sea. I'm not sure on all of their uh, locations where they think that this happened, um, but uh, the, the, the idea in their mind is, is conceivable and true. Well, we know it is because the word of God says so. But it was one great and mighty exodus, which is one of the foundational events of the Bible and gives the uh, background to the whole story of redemption in the New Testament as well. You know, the death of the Lord Jesus is called in Matthew 17, his exodus in Greek. And uh, it's an amazing thing. But the Bible tells us that one day in the future there is going to be another exodus. Another exodus. Do you remember what happened in 1948 when the children of Israel were able to come into the promised land again? And and they got on board that boat, which was called the Exodus, didn't they? To flee from Cyprus, from us, the British, shamefully. And uh, they fled there. Well, that was uh, an exodus in its day and we'll talk about that a little bit in a moment but the bible says there's going to be another exodus in the future a final exodus and this is spoken of in many places in scripture where god is going to gather the children of israel literally back to the land of israel from all over the world from all over the world not just from egypt but from all over the world. Let me give you uh, a few scriptures to help put this in your mind so you can see where this is taught. Okay, In Isaiah chapter 11, verse 12, it says, He will set up a banner for the nations and will assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. 
They're going to come from all the nations around the world. Jeremiah 16 says, Therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that it shall no more be said, The Lord lives, who brought up the children of Israel from the land of Egypt, but the Lord lives, who brought up the children of Israel from the land of the north and from the lands, all the lands where he had driven them. Uh, It says, For I will bring them back into their land, which I gave to their fathers. Jeremiah 16, verses 14 and 15. And Zechariah 10 tells us the miraculous way in which it's going to happen. It says, I will whistle for them and gather them, for I will redeem them and they shall increase as they once increased. When the Lord Jesus Christ comes back at his second coming and establishes his kingdom, he's going to whistle. Literally, he's going to whistle. A shepherd whistles. And he's going to call his sheep from afar. And the Jewish people will hear his voice and will come. In fact, I think the Lord's going to give them extra help as well. Matthew 24, sorry that skipped off the edge there. It says, and he will send out his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. And they will gather together his elect from one end of the four winds of heaven to the other. And uh, his elect there, I believe, is the elect nation of Israel. And they're going to be gathered back to the land of Israel again when Jesus Christ comes back at his second coming. What a great and mighty exodus that is going to be. An exodus event. In fact, it might interest you to know there are actually five exodus events in scripture. The first one, of course, is the one we read about in in the book of Exodus, uh, the time when they were delivered from Pharaoh. The second one came later on in the Bible when the days of Ezra and Nehemiah, when they came back from captivity in Babylon. That is like another Exodus event. And Ezra was like a new Moses who brought the people back. He was a man of the law, a man of the word, and he led the people back. Like Moses, he couldn't stop the people behaving badly. And uh, so he had the same sort of problems. But that was another Exodus. Then you have the modern day Exodus, which we've been talking about, the, the, the one that's taken place since the war. And this is spoken of, I believe, in this same chapter of Isaiah 43. If you just look in verse, uh, I've got six and seven up there, it should be five and six. Uh, but in verse Isaiah 43, verse five, you'll notice God says this, Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your descendants from the east and gather them, gather you from the west I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not keep them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Now you'll notice there, God gives the order in which they're going to come back. East, west, north, and south. And you know what? Since uh, over the last century, that's the order the Jews have been coming back to the land. They came back from the east, first of all, from Yemen. Then they came back from the west after the second world war they came from europe where they had been persecuted and they fled back to the land Uh, then they came from the north in the 1980s the russians gave uh, up a lot of the jewish people they were fleeing uh, coming out of russia from the north and you'll find a lot of russian jews in the land of israel they came in the 1980s a friend of mine uh, sent out bibles around the world and he had a contact on the borders of russia and his friend said we see about a hundred jewish people a week crossing the border here 
And they were coming, it was an exodus, they were going back. And then in verse 6 he says, and to the south, do not give them up. That happened in the 1990s with Operation Moses where they brought the Jews and flew the Jews out El Al. They took all the, all the seats out of the El Al aeroplanes and they crammed them full with Ethiopian Jews. What are called unkindly Falasha Jews. It's not a complimentary term. But they put them on board these planes and they rescued them from Ethiopia and they flew them back to the land. And uh, that happened under Ariel Sharon's leadership. So it happened exactly like that. As it said, east, west, north, south, in that order there, a modern day exodus. And then the fourth one is a strange one. It's a reverse exodus. And this is spoken of in Revelation 12. And this is where the Jewish people will flee from the land into the wilderness to get away from the Antichrist. And that's spoken of in Revelation 14.12. And it has all the hallmarks of the Exodus. God says, I'll bring you out on eagles' wings. That's the same thing he said in Exodus 19 for how they came out of Egypt. I brought you up on eagles' wings. He said, I'll take you out into the desert, which is what happened back then. And he said, where they will be provided for with the food and so on, just like uh, in the Exodus in the Old Testament. So that's a reverse one. That's a strange one. But the fifth one is the final exodus, which this passage we're looking at tonight in Exodus, Isaiah 43, 16 to 21, speaks about the final and greatest exodus, which will take place when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back and calls the Jewish people back to the land. And I want us to look at this tonight because this will uh, help us to learn a lot of lessons uh, uh, from this Bible passage to see what it means and also to learn things about our God which we will be able to apply to our own lives tonight. So I hope this will be an interesting study to you and I hope it will have some personal encouragement to you as well. And I want you to see that this final exodus will create three things. It will create a new and greater memory in verses 16 to 19 it will create a new and greater miracle in verses 19 to 20 and it will create a new and greater mouthpiece in verse 21 first of all then it will create a new and greater memory have a look in verse 16 it says thus says the lord who makes a way in the sea and a path through the mighty waters who brings forth the chariot and the horse the army and the power they shall lie down together they shall not rise they are quenched sorry they extinguish they are quenched like a wick do not remember the former things nor consider the things of old Behold, I will do a new thing. Now, this is talking about the fact that God is going to create a new memory for the children of Israel. A new and a greater memory. He starts off in verse 16 talking about the fact that he is the one who's speaking, who is the one who did that great miracle we read about in Exodus 14 with uh, Moses at the Red Sea and made a way, made a path through the waters and made a way through the Red Sea and uh, also in turn then drowned Pharaoh's army when he closed those waters back over them as he says in verse 17 but he says in verse 18 do not remember the former things nor consider the things 
of old. Now, what's he talking about here? He's talking here, I believe, about the Passover. You see, every year uh, on the 14th of Nisan, the Jewish people celebrate the feast of Passover and the feast of unleavened bread. And they remember the exodus from Egypt. They'll be celebrating it at the same sort of time that we are celebrating Easter. And uh, they will be remembering what God has done. In fact, nearly every Jewish holiday is a remembrance of something God has done in the past, in the Bible, uh, or in the days after the Bible, things like uh, the Feast of Hanukkah. But God says when this happens, this new exodus is going to happen, he's going to do a new thing that will cause a new and greater memory to stand out in front of them, rather than the memory even of the exodus. Now this is a a staggering thing to behold, because if you think about how much the Jewish people honour and venerate the exodus and the Passover, This is like their great famous celebration and this is a massive thing. And I don't think he's saying, I want you to forget all about that now. But what he's going to say is, I'm going to attach a new significance to it. And this is what this exodus is going to to do. We do know from uh, Ezekiel 45 that they are still going to celebrate the Passover in the kingdom. And that's one of the things that comes out uh, in Ezekiel 45, uh, one of the prophetic passages there. But what we're told here is that there will be a greater memory attached to it uh, rather than the old one. Now, you may be feeling a little bit uncomfortable with that idea, but before you do write it off, let me just remind you that this has actually already happened to a degree. Because before the Lord Jesus Christ went to the cross in the upper room, he took the elements of the Passover, the bread and the wine, and he didn't say, let's remember Egypt all those years ago. He said, do this. In remembrance of me. And, and Christian Jews to this day, they don't write off all the Egypt thing. But when they take the bread and the wine, they see a new significance to it. It's not just about what happened in, in the days of, of Moses. It's about what happened with our Lord Jesus Christ, ultimately. But what we're told here is that when this exodus happens in the future... That is going to be loaded in there as well. And there's going to be a new and a greater memory to the Passover and the memory of the Exodus. You know, God loves to do things uh, and add things and make things new. He loves to do new things. Charles Stanley uh, said this. He said, God loves new things. He loves new songs, new hearts, new heavens, new earth, new names. We should not always look for him to do in our lives what he's done before, but should learn to expect the unexpected. In other words, be ready for new things. Charles Spurgeon said, do not imagine that what God has done in the past will never be repeated It will be excelled. He will do yet greater things. (laughs) 
that's, that's staggering, isn't it? You think of how great the Exodus was. You think of that mighty miracle. God says, I'm going to make, make new memories for you that will make that fade almost out of, out of your memory. That's how great it's going to be. And, and, and this is such a lesson for us in the Christian life as well. That God wants to create greater memories in his people. Memories that will even eclipse the things of the past. You know, we praise God for the past. We don't write off the past. The past is like the roots of a tree. You know, the tree has to have its roots, otherwise the tree won't be able to stand up. And we think of this, this place of worship where we are, 200 years old. We thank God for the past. We thank God for the people whose faith and, and finances and hard work build this place which we're worshipping in today. And for all the generations of Union Chapel Christians who have been here before us and kept the lamp burning, all the faithful preachers whose uh, names some of you know uh, and remember, uh, men like Reg Tucker and, uh, and others, we thank God. God for the memory of the past but let's not say we just live in the past let's remember God wants to do new and greater things than he has done before I'm I'm always impressed when I read Paul's words in Philippians chapter 3 he said brethren I do not count myself to have apprehended but one thing I do forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus you know Paul had attained so much but he said I press on to lay hold of that for which Christ has laid hold for me. A greater, closer walk with God. Reminds me of that story of the uh, famous artist uh, in, in the classical period whose name was Timotheus. And Timotheus was, uh, was a student of, a, of one of these universities of art in, in the ancient world. And he painted a masterful painting, a really wonderful painting. And uh, his, his master told him, Timotheus, you have excelled yourself. This is the best work you've ever done. And he was so pleased of it. And you know, for the next few days, he came into the studio and he didn't pick up his paintbrushes. He didn't pick up his canvas. He just would sit there and, and look at his work and feel so pleased with what he had achieved. And the days turned to weeks. Until one day he came in and he found the canvas and his beautiful picture had been slashed with a knife And paint smeared all over it. It was ruined. And he was heartbroken. He was devastated. And he said to his master, look what somebody has done to my painting. And he said, Timotheus, it wasn't someone. It was me. He said, you? Why did you do that? He said, I'll tell you why. He said, because that painting was holding you back. All you could do was look back on that which happened in the past. And you couldn't do more in the future as long as that painting was still there. Sometimes that is how we are as Christians as well. Uh, We need to be prayerful for new and greater memories. New and greater things that God 
would do in his church and in our lives. And uh, not keep going on about what we used to be and what we used to do when we were young or when we were at some sort of high point in our Christian life, but seeking God for new and greater things. God will bring a new and greater memory at the Exodus. You know, when we can't do that, we're in danger. This was where the Pharisees were in danger with the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ wanted to do a new and greater thing. He wanted to bring Gentiles in. He wanted to to save people by grace, not by the keeping of the law like the Pharisees had. And they couldn't accept it. And Jesus said it's like putting new wine into old wineskins. It won't work. Now, dear friends, we need to not be like that. We need to take it seriously and say, Lord, please, if there's anything that's holding us back, by a memory of the past in ourselves, in our own walk with you, or in our own church, then God help us to move on from that place. Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. So that's the first thing it's going to do, create a new and greater memory. Secondly, it's going to create a new and greater miracle. Have a look again at verse 19. He says, Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Somebody, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen America, the White Sands. The White Sands of America uh, are near the border of Mexico and it's like massive desert. And some smart aleck has stuck up a sign saying, way out. (laughs) So if you're there in the White Sands, this is the way out. (laughs) Just straight through the desert. Well, that sounds funny, but you know what? When God said to Moses, this is the way out, (laughs) that's exactly what God did. He said, we're going through the desert, Moses. (laughs) And we're going to go through the Red Sea. And it was a a formidable miracle. But God says here, he's going to do a new and greater miracle with them. I will do a new thing. He said, it shall spring forth and you will know it. He said, this is not something you're going to be able to say, oh, what was that again? It will be something staggering. That's why this verse begins with a behold in verse 19. And God says in verse 19, I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Now, this is where the Lord is making a twist on the exodus if you think about the first exodus what god did was he made a path on dry land through the waters but what god says he's going to do this time is make waters flow through the dry land can you see the contrast what he's saying here it's a twist on the past this is going to be a new and greater miracle And it's going to result in new and greater things. The God who said, I make a way through uh, the sea, in verse 16, is going to make a way. And that's literally what it means, through the wilderness, where it's barren and hard. And he's going to make rivers flow in the desert. Now, what are those rivers? Uh, Well, I believe those rivers are literal rivers. You see, in Isaiah 35, God said he'd make the desert blossom. He'd make the waters flow in the desert when the Lord comes. And uh, one of the things that can happen under the power of God is God can create rivers where there are no rivers. And he's going to make new rivers 
flow through. We read in Ezekiel 47 of a new river that's going to flow from Jerusalem in the days of the kingdom. Um, But God is going to make rivers in the desert. So there will be water for the exiles as they come back to the promised land. As they come back on their journey through the deserts, they're going to have drinking water. In the past, Moses had to strike the rock and there was water in certain places. But here the water is going to flow alongside them all the way and they will have enough. And it's going to be a blessing to the animals. Verse 20, it says, The beast of the field will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, because I give waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my people, my chosen. You see, this is another aspect of which is greater than the last one. Because, you see, this is actually going to bring life. The animals of the desert who struggle for water, they're going to get the benefit of this water as well. And the animals in their own way are going to praise God and rejoice in what he has done for his people. That's a contrast to verse 17 where you'll see the animals died in the last exodus when they came through the water and the waters closed over Pharaoh's horses and army. This new miracle is going to bring life rather than death. And you know what dear friends this is what God loves to do. He he loves to do new and greater miracles. And this is what we see all the way through the Bible and especially what we see in the Gospels. You know, when the Lord Jesus Christ came, he did new and greater miracles than those of the prophets. If you think back in the Old Testament, think about, I think it's in Exodus chapter 8. Moses went to Pharaoh and he struck the waters of the Nile and they became what? There became blood. But what was the first miracle? That was Moses' first miracle in Egypt. But what was the first miracle of the Lord Jesus? He turned the water to wine. Can you see? It's, it's, it's comparable, but it's greater. It's more wonderful. One brought death. One brings life. In the Old Testament, there were many barren wombs that God miraculously opened. What a great miracle Hannah's womb opened in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, our God does a greater miracle. He doesn't open a barren womb. He gives a virgin birth. Can you see? It's getting bigger and better all along. In the Old Testament, there were several resurrections, especially under Elisha and Elijah, where widows' sons were raised back to life. When the Lord Jesus Christ rose from the dead, many dead people rose with him. And we're not finished yet. When the rapture happens, the dead in Christ will rise. Do you know what? I would love to see the grass outside Union Chapel (laughs) after the rapture's happened. Because there's about 250 people buried on this site. Did you know that? What a disturbance there's going to be here. It's a new and a greater miracle is going to happen. At the start of Christ's ministry, he healed one leper. At the end, he healed ten lepers. We think of the Old Testament, Elijah's spirit, it fell on one man, Elisha. But Christ's spirit fell on 120 in the upper room and it hasn't stopped falling since, praise God. Think of the New Testament. The Lord Jesus started with 12 disciples. 
We're told in the book of, of Revelation if they're evangelists. I think they are. I know there's a debate about that, but I think they are. There'll be 144,000 going out telling about Christ. What a miracle. New and greater miracles all the way. And you know what? This is what God loves to do, isn't it? And what he will do in the future. So, dear friend, find great encouragement in the, in the fullness of God in this here. Because God can do exceedingly, abundantly, above all we ask or imagine. What a great God we serve. Let's not put him in a little box and say, God, do what you did before. Say, Lord, do a new thing. Do a greater thing. Greater even than you've done in the past. May it please him to do so. May some of you, he open a new way for you as well. And then thirdly, it will create a new and greater mouthpiece. And this is what we see in verse 21. Isaiah said, this people, the Lord said through Isaiah, this people I have formed for myself. They shall declare my praise. The final thing that this exodus is going to produce is that when the Lord brings back his people back to the land, it will produce not only a new memory in them, in their Passover, not only a new miracle in the way it happens, a new and greater miracle they'll remember, but it will make the people a new and greater mouthpiece for God. The children of Israel were meant to be God's mouthpiece to the world. But you know what happened when God set them free from Egypt? We saw it in Exodus 14 already. They started grumbling. Weren't there enough graves back in Egypt, Moses, that you had to bring us out here? And ten distinct times God says, you tested me in the wilderness with your grumbling. I'm so glad we're not like that. (laughs) My wife is the one whose voice you can hear laughing. (laughs) You know? But that's what they did. But God said, this people, they're going to be for my praise. He said, this people I have formed for myself. The word formed there is the word for a potter's wheel. Isaiah and Jeremiah both like that imagery. I'm going to form them and they shall declare my praise. They're not going to come out grumbling. They're going to come out praising. They're not going to come out whining. They're going to come out shining. They're not going to come out complaining. They're going to come out proclaiming. What an example that is. Uh, what God wants to do. A new and greater mouthpiece. You know, dear friends, I wonder if there's something here for us to learn as well, you know. How would it be if God did such a great miracle in us to make us a new and greater mouthpiece that spoke better for him? President Lyndon Johnson told the story of an old farmer who had a dog lying on his front porch and the dog was howling. And a visitor came to the farm and the visitor said to the farmer, what's wrong with your dog? He said, he's lying on a cockleburr. And the man said, well, why doesn't he get up? And the farmer said he'd rather howl. And you know what? Sometimes that's true of us, isn't it? We would rather howl. (laughs) We'd rather moan and grumble. But God wants us to be a people who declare his praise. So let's resolve to be like those in the days of the Exodus to be. And be people of worship. 
As we close this tonight, let's think about what we've learned about God. I think we learn from this about the faithfulness of God. When we look at this, we see that God is going to be faithful to Israel. Israel has made many mistakes, many sins, but God is faithful in his covenant love and promise to them. And what he has said he will fulfill, he will bring them back to their land under their king, one greater than David, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will rule over them and he will bring them back. He is faithful to his promises. As I go home tonight, I'm I'm so thankful to God for the faithfulness of God. I'm thankful for the fullness of God too. That God is able to do a new thing, a greater thing that will create a greater memory like we see this here. What a wonderful thing that is. That God's power is nonetheless. The freshness of God. That God isn't stuck in a rut. And I've only got one type of miracle I know how to do. God knows how to do greater and greater miracles. Let's look to him to eclipse even the works he's done in the past with the mighty works he's going to do in the future. We serve a great God. Let's be a people of praise to him. Amen.